Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Hi, welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, Real Estate Edition with Howard and Rob. We talked about real estate industry trends, emerging issues, and lots of news. We are where real estate happens. I'm Howard Altshuler, partner in charge of real estate services here at Weaver. And as always, I'm by my partner, Rob Nowak, in our tax group. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of myself and Rob, and not necessarily those of Weaver. Content provided is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. So Rob, how are you doing this week? Um, I'm good. You know, we were talking last well, last Friday. And yeah, I, well, we were out hitting golf balls. <laughs> not supposed to talk about that. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, and you know, one of the questions that I asked you, which I said, look, let's talk about it a little bit more this week is, you know, the, the coronavirus, COVID, it's still on everyone's mind, obviously. It dominates the news cycles. But I threw out the question to you, how does this end? You know, at some point, the world's going to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what's going to cause that? Is it going to be one event? Is it going to be a series of events? But when does this end? And when do we get back to normal? Well, that's a good question. I think there's going to be a lot of events that are going to have to come to come to fruition, I guess, in order for things to come back to normal. Uh, I think a lot of people are betting on a vaccine as one thing. I think seeing people continue to have healthy habits in terms of masking up, in terms of washing hands, in terms of you know staying home when you're sick, not trying to be the hero, um, especially during the winter time when we all seem to try to be the hero is going to be important. But I think another area is going to be making sure that spaces are safe for people. Uh, mostly public buildings like offices, retail, et cetera. Yeah, I agree with you. I was having a, the reason I asked the question is I was having a discussion with a client last week and he threw out something that was sort of interesting. And that was, you know, we have different certifications in commercial buildings Mm -hmm. and even in residential buildings. And there was obviously a generous push around making structures energy, energy efficient and having an energy efficiency certification. The LEED certification. Absolutely. So at some point, do we, is there a another certification that a building is not uh, you know, energy efficient, just energy efficient, but also I'll say um, you know, environmentally sound on the inside? Do we have a standard for air filtration, a standard for other HVAC, another standard for life safety systems that protect those who are entering the building or seemingly protect those who are entering the building from viruses and germs and infections and things like that. It was kind of an interesting question. Yeah, that, that is kind of interesting. It's, I guess there's a lot of different facets that go into this. I mean, part of it is what do you put into the building in order to keep things from spreading if they're already there. Um, But you also do, you need to get a part of it, which is keeping people who are sick um, from entering the building or keeping contaminants, let's just say, for lack of a better word, um, from, from getting in the building. Uh, we, we can talk about that, but I think we also have to temper any discussion and any thoughts with ultimately who's going to pay for it. 
Right. You know, when lead first came out, it was, it was a novelty and now it's become, you know, an expectation, mm -hmm. at least a certain level of lead. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also a factor of how much of that is built into rents, how much of that is the technology cost to make a building lead certified has gone significantly down. Uh, but for a long time, there was a lot of cost factors that need to be considered and I think still are considered and will also have to be taken into consideration with anything we have from a health and safety certification. So, I mean, I guess my question is as a tenant, am I more willing to pay for a space that is significantly, is going to significantly protect my people more than a space that's not? And like you said, who's gonna pay for it? I think ultimately the tenant is the one who's paying for it. I mean, tenants, if you're an operator owner, you're recovering those improvements and those additions through your tenant rents at some mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. um, well, at the risk of sounding crass, I guess I could say, how, how much do you care about your employees? Yeah. No, that's not really a fair no. comment to say. I mean, it, there's so much of it as a cost benefit. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go, let's say, for example, with lead, you know, you go from lead gold to lead platinum. How much does that ultimately save you in terms of energy efficiency and how mm -hmm. much of it is good PR? Okay. I'm not a lead expert, so I can't answer right. that question. But the same thing here is, you know, if we're talking air filtration, for example, if you're going to go from MERV 16 to HEPA, um, how incremental of a change is that mm -hmm. and how much costs a whole lot of money, but is mm -hmm. it going to make a big enough difference uh, from people's health and, you know, health and safety that it's worthwhile doing? I'll throw it another way. I was in a movie theater a couple of weeks ago. Me too. And, and everyone was socially distanced. Mm -hmm. um, but before the, the production began, you know, typically you're gonna have your previews and everything. Well, the previews were sort of cut short because there was a five minute video that was played by the owners of the theater, actually a family group. And they talked through all the steps that they've taken within the last several months to retrofit their theaters to make them safe. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting because uh, the price of the popcorn hasn't gone up, the price of the drinks hasn't gone up, and the price of the tickets hasn't gone up. If anything, there's more concessions made to get folks into mm -hmm. the theater, mm -hmm. which made me think at some point, is it incumbent upon owner and operators to pay for those expenses? Because I'm now I'm, I'm really engaged in protection more than, than anything else. It's not an, in, it's an enticement to say, look, my building is going to be significantly more protected than the one across the street. That's why you should choose A over B. Um, so I don't know that I'm necessarily, I guess I'm gonna backtrack on what I said earlier and that it's the tenant that's perhaps paying for it. Maybe it is. Uh, you know, just an owner operator paying just to protect their footprint. Well, you're dealing with a completely different thing. And I also want to go on record of saying, you know, I'm 100% beyond the fact. I want to go on record and say, I'm 100% of the belief that people's lives do matter. Okay. So I'm talking economics versus lives. Mm -hmm. I recognize the fact that no, no amount of money is too much to spend from a health and safety standpoint. So don't get me wrong on that. Um, but going back to your question, it's, um, you know, you're dealing with a different dynamic when you're talking retail, like say a movie theater and talking an office lease, because in an office, you've got that long-term lease built in. People are, if nothing else to an extent, stuck with the property they have. So it's a matter of what are the buildings going to do or what are the tenants going to do to make sure that the people feel comfortable coming to work, if that's what the employer wants. Um, you know, there's some employers who are still quite fine with people working remotely, but as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and as I think we're starting to see now, the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit towards people wanting to go in the office. So 
it becomes to an extent an HR issue of how do we keep our people happy, people keep our people comfortable. I mean, let's face it, if you're sitting in the office and you're worried about getting sick, you're not going to get any more work done than you would be if you weren't in the office. Um, on the retail side with the, you know, with the movie theater, it's a matter of getting people to come in who have the choice to either stay away or come mm-hmm. in. But I do think right now, yeah, I mean, it's an incentive that the, you know, the theater itself is paying because they need to get people in the door when things get back to quote normal. If all of this health safety continues, then yeah, you'll probably start to see it built into the price of the tickets, built into the price of the concession, so on and so forth. So I'm thinking as I walked into the building today, I sort of put on my thinking cap and said, you know, from the time that I pull into the garage to the time that I'm sitting at my own desk in my little office, what are all the things that I need to touch, breathe, people I need to interact with that need to be changed? so if we're, we're sort of imagining out loud, um, I'm, ima- I'm thinking about those retrofits that need to be made in order to accomplish that. If I literally want a contactless entry, mm-hmm. okay, and not to be impersonal, I want to interact with as few people as I possibly need to, from security desk to greeters at the front door to parking attendants, et cetera. What do we need to do in order to make our buildings truly you know, safe from a contactless point? You know. Most buildings, I think, are already outfit due to ADA with automatic doors. Mm -hmm. So if I have a revolving door, there also is a regular hinge door that has a plunger that can be pushed. That door can be opened. So we, I think we already understand how contactless entry into a building can be accomplished. But you still have to push the button. You still have to push the button. Now, does that become an automatic sensor? So maybe that's, you know, that's one retrofit. But now I'm in the building. Mm -hmm. And how do we guarantee that I'm not, you know, sick? when I come into the building. So is there a thermal scan, a temperature scan, as you walk through that vestibule that has to be done to determine whether or not, you know, you're, you have a fever that's, you know, above a certain level. And do we not allow entry to folks who have a fever above a certain level? Is that feasible? Maybe. I mean, that type of equipment is very expensive. Um, That type of equipment is not necessarily the most accurate. Um, you would maybe need someone to monitor it unless maybe you can somehow build it into the revolving door or that the revolving door stops if you if it detects that you have a fever, but then now you start to have backups at the doorway. And oh, that's I, probably a that's probably a fire safety issue. Yeah, and I think work. that's that's feasible right now when we have fewer folks coming yeah, into the office. Yeah. Imagine we're fully staffed exactly. and you have tens of thousands of people in one commercial office building. Right. Yeah. How are you going to be able to, to monitor that? And then on top of that, as we found with with COVID, and it could be the case with other diseases, fortunately the flu is probably not one of them, um, you could still be sick and not know it, not have a fever. So it's not it's not going to be foolproof. So then you get, so now I'm in the door, let's say I've passed the temperature check, whatever that's gonna look like. Now I get to the elevator. You have a couple of choices for elevator systems. I'm gonna push the call button up or down. I'm gonna get on the elevator and push my selective button. There's a lot of things to touch. Even if, even if I'm doing it with my elbow or my knuckle, I still have to touch it at some point. Well, I can touch, in our building at least, I could touch the buttons with my ID card. <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe it is a system whereby you know, you're going to wave your ID card and these are the select call elevators mm-hmm. instead of the, the old fashioned uh, call button elevators. I wave my badge and it gives me a right to select certain floors and other floors are locked out. So it knows that every day Rob's going to come in and he's going to go to the 10th floor. So I'm going to wave my badge and that elevator is automatically going to call, or I should say that system is automatically going to call an elevator that takes me to the 10th floor. Right. Now I've also heard about 
people developing some apps that I guess you can access the app on your phone as you're walking towards the elevator. Right. Um, you're, it already knows who you are, and then you just push on, push on your phone, which one you want. It'll tell you which elevator to get in, and away you go. And if you don't think your phone is a Petri dish for um, uh, bacteria. Well, I mean, it's my own germs. Basically. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just saying I can't think of anything that's probably more disgusting than everyone's individual phone. It reminds, <laughs> me, I, it reminds me, I need to wipe mine down here one of these days. All day long. <laughs> so, you know, let's say you, you whether it's an app or a selective call mm -hmm. system. Now I'm in the elevator. Chances are I'm going to be in that elevator with only the folks who are, have recently called the elevator to go to that floor. More often than not, I'm probably going to be in that elevator by myself. Oh, um, so depends on where you are and how busy the building is. Absolutely. And what time you're there. Right. So if I'm, uh, now I'm in the elevator and I'm on my way up to my office, I get to the, you know, so my physical office space, again, badging in and badging out is pretty easy. Um, but you still, sometimes you have to turn that knob in order to get into your space. So now does that door become, I badge in and that door is automatically going to open. I don't actually have to turn a knob perhaps. So it's going to be an electronic or some sort of an electromagnetic door. You know, it reminds me back um, when I was younger and one of my uh, firms, they had offices that they had like a magnetic lock on the door. Yeah. So it was basically would hold the door open, but the um, partners, they had a little button they could push on their desk that would automatically close the door. Uh, so, if, you know, you're on a phone call. So it was a little unnerving because it was a little fast. So all of a sudden you'd hear door slam and it was, oh my gosh, what happened? And it was really just someone, you know, releasing the electronic lock and um, letting the door close. That seems too much like Dr. Evil from uh, <laughs> uh, Austin Powers. But uh, okay, so you know, kind of follow me on, mm -hmm. our, on our little journey here. Now I'm inside my space. I go into my office, and theoretically, you know, I'm the one, only one who's using my office, unless we have hotel type offices, mm -hmm. which are going to present another dynamic. But now I'm in my office and I'm self-contained. So, I, you know, there probably is a way for me to get from that parking garage or from the outside to the inside of the building, contactless, and perhaps monitoring, you know, certain biometrics, let's just say temperature is mm -hmm. one of those, mm -hmm. to at least alert the building if somebody is entering that has 103 fever yeah right? 100 uh, versus 103 could be a big difference I don't I'm not obviously we're not physicians you don't know where that line in the sand is but um, it seems like there would be ways to make buildings mm -hmm. you know outfit to, to at least affect that well it's funny I just had a, a funny thought of I think about at home in my um, alarm system that we have a glass breakage uh, alarm yeah um, maybe Offices start putting in cough alarms or cough alerts. If they hear if it hears one person coughing a whole bunch, it'll send a notice to somebody to say, "Let's go check this out." And I would say you're crazy, but then again, uh, I think eight months ago nobody would have told us we were dealing with a global pandemic exactly. that had exactly. shut down the entire world. So I, never say never. At, well, at this point, we never say never yeah. because now everything is on the table. Well, one of the things that you haven't talked about though is um, air filtration. Oh yeah. I mean, you're in an elevator. I mean, you're, the good thing about the elevator is you're only in there for a short period of time, assuming everything works well. Uh, but you know, when you get in the office, you're in there for a while. You're in your office, or the you know the air circulating throughout the whole office. So, what do you think building owners or tenants should be demanding in order to to help out with that? Well, my my thought is, if if I want to protect my people, I'm going to demand the highest standard that I possibly can. And is that you know uh, a level of filtration that is analogous to a clean room, a surgery center. Look, the, obviously the systems are available mm -hmm. to circulate air within a period of time that makes the environment completely sterile. Otherwise, we wouldn't have operating rooms. We wouldn't have server clean rooms. Right. So are we going to take that technology and now that's going to be the standard for office air filtration? I really hope not. 
and, and, and I'll just say that again from a cost benefit standpoint of, yeah, you need a computer chip clean room to be sterile. Mm -hmm. You need an office, an operating room to be sterile. You don't need an, an office to be sterile. You need an office to be clean. And again, it goes back to there's levels of clean, there's levels of filtration, levels of filters that you can put into your systems in order to, um, to make that work. But keep in mind what levels of filters would go into an operating room are going to be different than even the best level of filter that would be going into an office. So it becomes a matter of is the office HVAC system even capable of handling a HEPA filter, something right. that would go into an operating room? Or even if it is, would it require so much extra air to be moved mm -hmm. that either it would just cost a fortune from an energy standpoint or it ultimately just wouldn't work? So again, it's going back to, you know, there, there are always going to be risks. I mean, you walk down the street and there's a risk that something's going to happen. And I think people have to accept that there's some level of risk with respect to being in an office and a matter of let's do everything we can to minimize that risk down to something that's reasonable and um, appropriate and um, acceptable to most uh, and, and, and work with that rather than try to go all the way to a standard that really doesn't have, that has such a small incremental benefit, mm -hmm. but such a larger cost that it just doesn't make sense. And I think that really is the issue. You know, you're going to balance the cost benefit between um, replacing a system wholesale in order to accommodate a higher level of filter, but balancing that with what's the cost benefit? How much more protection am I getting for the cost? You know, and the cost could be millions for a gain of, you know, a few percentage points, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. on, on air quality. I think both as the owner and as the tenant, you have to, to carefully evaluate whether or not um, the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak. Right. Well, and I think like LEED, this is something that's going to evolve over time, and there will become some level of equilibrium. And I think, yes, ultimately, to answer your very original question, there will be an expectation um, that there's some standard, and there will be a standard that's going to allow for that. Um, and you know, we'll see where that gets to. I just think it should be the Howard and, and Rob Air Certification Award that's going to be affixed to a building. No, I, I don't really see that one coming. <laughs> Well, Rob, I think that's about all the time we have today. So um, to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of Weaver Beyond the Numbers Real Estate Edition. We'll be back next week with some more episodes. Please like, share, and subscribe to all of our podcasts to stay up to date on industry trends. Until next time, connect with Rob and Howard on LinkedIn at Rob Nowak and at Howard Altshore. We look forward to connecting with you online.